Hey, who was here when I preached a few years back and I came and pulled the stand off the... Anybody here? Still? Okay, good. I didn't do that today. All right. Well, hey, my name's Matt McKinney, and I have the privilege and honor to serve here uh, at the Ridge um, to serve as an elder. Um, we serve in other ministries, but just a great church. I love this church, and uh, just an honor to be able to teach and to preach today. My heart is that you're encouraged and that you're challenged and uh, that you really, in this hot summer, you, you take out an encouraging word. Uh, Jerry, uh, where's Jerry? <laughs> he, he will be back next week. And so thanks so much to Isabel and to Scott um, for teaching. I can tell you, you did not want me teaching on history last week. Promise. So today, I'm going to teach on encouragement. I'm married to my wife, Lindsay. Uh, Twelve years we'll celebrate here in August. We have four kids from three to eight, if you don't know us. So we love coffee. Coffee is our deal. You think, well, they got four kids too, but they love coffee. We love coffee. And it's an honor to preach and teach. We're in, if you haven't been with us, we're in Acts chapter 13, 1 through 2. And I can honestly say... When I looked at this text, Isabel said, hey, here's the text. I was um, a little down because I read through it and read through it and I struggled and, and I didn't know, like, what, what, God, what, what did you have in this text? And the more, as you know, the more you struggle, the more you research, the more you study, God illuminated his word. And so I pray today that we'll be encouraged, really encouraged today in light of this text. 13, Acts chapter 13, the book now makes a shift, focusing on the Gentiles. Prior to this, Peter was the central character up through 1 through 12. And in 13, he shifts and it goes to Paul. And Paul now replaces him as the central character. The focus goes to the Gentiles of spreading the good news to the church around the world. Paul and Barnabas had been given this responsibility. They knew what was at stake and at any moment... Their lives could have been taken. But God had given them a task to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. So I've entitled this sermon today, Encouragement for the Journey. Take a look at this clip. Would you drop it? You dropped it! That was my only chance of finding my son. Now it's gone! Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. 
When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Doreen, I'm singing. Doreen. I love to swim in. Doreen. When you want to swim, you want See, to See, I'm gonna get stuck what? now with that song. Now it's in my head. Sorry. All right, well, we better pray after that. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your word, for your truth. Pray that we're challenged. Pray that we're encouraged. Pray that we draw meaning out of this text. Pray that even finding Nemo and Dory, we can learn something from that. We pray for our mission team that was delayed a little bit getting back. They were supposed to already be back. They're on a flight at 1230 today. We pray for them. Give them strength even as they continue to minister. Pray for our hearts. Pray that we'll be truly changed in one way or the other to, to leave this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I saw some of the popcorn starting to get out and people were wanting the, the Cokes and my kids here, my two oldest, Riley and Reese, they're like, Daddy, play the, for, instead of the sermon, play the whole 40 minutes of the movie. But Jerry vetoed that. So part of this, I'm a marriage, or some of you guys that don't know, I'm a marriage and family counselor, and we ran into one of my clients in public, and it's kind of awkward sometimes, you guys know, uh, confidentiality, I can't like come up, hey, here's my client, but if they come up to me, it's on, it's full game, it's awesome. So this guy came up to my family, and he said, hey, he said, looked at my kids, and he said, hey, have y'all seen Finding Dory? They were like, yeah, and their eyes got big as, you know, Nemo when he was little. And he's like, hey, maybe you don't understand, but this is what your dad does. He helps me keep swimming. He helps me keep swimming. And I was like, that's it. That's what we do. That's the mission of the church is to help each other to keep swimming, to propel the gospel forward for Christ. I need that. You need that. That's what we're doing not to settle, as Jerry said, but to be on mission. As a team, to be on mission. God has given us a team to encourage us. We never know who we're going to reach. We'll see that today in the text. And number three, there'll be obstacles. There'll be distractions along the way. There'll be disappointments along the way. So verse one, what can we learn from this text now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with the Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it takes a team approach to be on mission as a team. And we see that. We see the diversity of these men. We see the diversity of this church. We see the diversity here. There's teams right now that are on mission, there's teams in the back, there's teams that are volunteering, elementary, preschool, the worship team, the staff, the elders. There's people that aren't here because they're out on mission. It takes a team approach. God is assembling a team to go and to do the work. It's interesting that there are five. I'm sorry, I grew up in North Carolina, but when I think of five, what do you think I think about? Basketball, you're right. Basketball, yes, thanks, great encouragement. Basketball, five people. When I go back to June when the Golden State Warriors were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, 
And I have to say I'm a Mavs fan, but I was pulling for the Golden State Warriors. And it's interesting how God uses that team, even though there's these superstars, but God uses a whole team of people to accomplish the mission of the church. Get this, God is calling you, but he's assembling a team. You could even reverse that. He's assembling a team and he's calling you to be a part of it. I think about, I can't help but think about John and Sandy. I had to work last Saturday and I'm like, hey, I got to go in and I'm going to work and then I'm going to text them and I'm going to see where they're at. I was thinking they'll probably be at their Carrollton house. I'm going to come and help work a couple hours and then come back and pick Riley up here. She was coming back from camp. I text John at 12 o'clock and he's like, Matt, no need. I was like, yes. <laughs> but he's like, we got it. The life group, the church, they, they poured in. We're, I know they still had some things to do, but they were done with the bulk of it. That's awesome. That is the church. Verse 2 and 3, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands, they on them, they sent them away. We see, too, that we're set apart to do the work of God. This was Paul's first missionary journey. The expression, minister to the Lord. Jerry said I would explain that. Thank you. Uh, so it denotes as they were engaged in prayer to the Lord or as they were engaged in divine service. To set apart means to dedicate for a special purpose. Again, I think of the missionaries. I think of people that come up. We do that quite a bit. And we come up here and we, we, we send people out. It's not just them. It's us as a church. You have a vital part to send out. We also have a vital part to go. And if we know Christ, we're called to be set apart, whether we're going on a specific trip or mission, whether we're going to school, whether we're going to work, we're called to do the mission that God has called us to do. You'll see on the slide, Philippians 2, 1 and 2, says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. It's interesting, it says, if any. I'm sure we, some of us have, or all of us have, it's some of that. And so we're called to dedicate our time and our effort and our money to the work that God has called us to. Have you asked God what he wants you to do in these areas? Or do we just check out with this new guy, pastor guy, before the Jerry lead pastor gets out and say, hey, that's not for me. God wants you to be a part of the sending, but he also wants us to be sent. And as God used Paul and Barnabas to proclaim the truth of Scripture to the people in Antioch, he has called each of us to be a part of his saving work on earth. Verses 4 and 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, 
they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. They were led by the Holy Spirit to go to Seleucia. You definitely didn't want me teaching last week on the history part. Scott did a great job. But Seleucia was a seaport 16 miles from Antioch, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus, it's interesting, was the homeland of Barnabas. Can you imagine going back to your homeland? Imagine going back to North Carolina. People know me. They knew what I was like growing up. It'd be very difficult. It'd be easy to skip the part that in these, in these cities they went to synagogues speaking first to the Jews in hopes that they would see Jesus as the true Messiah. And it'd be easy again to skip over John Mark. He was Barnabas' cousin. Here he served a significant role in the missionary journey. We think of Paul and we think of Barnabas, but sometimes we forget that supporting cast. John Mark helped minister to and assisted Barnabas and Saul. And it's possible that he was instructing new converts as they went, also assisting in baptisms and helping in various ways needed. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. It's kind of the mission of our men's ministry. First Tuesdays. I believe God, Paul and Barnabas would have been the first to tell you that they had a great team in place. But each played an integral part of the process of spreading the gospel to the nations. I think here's the thing. Our tendency is to look at these big stage moments. Like right now, like Sunday morning. This big stage moment, or hey, there's this big stage moment in our life. And putting all the focus on big stage people when the Lord wants us to serve out of the role he has given to us and to do it well. Some of us here get this. Some of us are trying and too busy trying to be Paul. When God's called you to be Barnabas or John Mark. In the same way, some of us are trying to be Barnabas and John Mark when he has called us to be Paul. I can't get up here and preach like Jerry. I can get up here and preach and teach the way God's gifted me and gave me that talent. Be who God called you to be. Verse 6 and 7, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. It's interesting. We don't fully know the, the results of the ministry here that has taken place in terms of number, but the impact, like Scott said last week, has a great significance for propelling the gospel forward to the Gentiles. And at Paphos, Barnabas and Saul met both a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet, same guy, 
named Bar-Jesus, and Bar-Jesus was the attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. I bet many of you are asking, hey, what is a proconsul? And I was asking the same thing. I had no idea. Basically, it was a governor appointed by the Roman Senate. So they were governors. So think of it that way. It's amazing if you think to see such a high-ranking official, this Senate guy, this governor, that would summon and ask Paul and Barnabas to come and to speak to him. A little bit on that. Sergius Paulus, he was a prudent man. The word prudent here means intelligent, wise, and learned. Also has a sense of candid, and he may have been given this name because he was of large and liberal views, philosophic and inquiring turn of mind, and he was willing to obtain knowledge from any source. So he brought these guys in to speak. He also was known for bringing Jews in to speak and was willing to listen to Barnabas and to Saul. Here's the thing, it's not often that men in office, women in office, men of rank, are thus willing to listen to the instructions of professed ministers about God. But even still, we shouldn't doubt the power of God to change lives. And it was because of the courage of Paul and Barnabas to stay on task, to stay on mission for God, that Sergius Paulus' life was changed forever. And can you imagine the trickle-down effect from that? Paul and Barnabas stayed on mission. They stayed to the task. And a life and many after that were changed for the gospel. What are you, whatever our unique calling is, God doesn't expect our perfection. He expects our faithfulness. Faithfulness, not perfection. Some of us are stuck because we want to perfect this deal. God's calling you to be faithful. Verses 8 and 10. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. But Saul, who also was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. In verse 8, it's interesting. We see this sorcerer trying to turn the proconsul away from faith. He is a distraction. The same way Satan is busy keeping us distracted, keeping us busy doing other things to stay away from the gospel. Even preparing this sermon, I ran into distractions and road bumps he doesn't want me up here. And so Satan is busy keeping great leaders in power from being on mission for their Lord because their influence will what? It will influence many. But here's the thing. The hope and the truth of the gospel is what drove Paul and Barnabas. Saul here we see was called Paul for the first time, kind of it's a transition. He stepped up and confronted Elymas. This is the first time where his name turns to Paul really and kind of keeps that way for the most part for the, from now on in Acts. And it's not clear why, but the point is, is that he is the leader and this was, he proceeds, his name proceeds, so he is now the leader of this team except for, we'll see this in Acts 14 and 15 when he's in Jerusalem. 
There's no doubt the sorcerer was trying to be a distraction to Paul and Barnabas as they pursued doing what God had called them to do to tell Sergius Paulus about the gospel. And here's the thing, it begs the question, what are some of the distractions you need to eliminate in your life? What are some of the distractions? What are some of the obstacles? What are the, some of the road speed bumps that we need to be aware of? Verse 10, under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul took time to confront the true character of Elymas, who was an enemy of everything that was right. And there's no doubt that Paul stood for the righteousness of Jesus to present the truth where Elymas was promoting lies. And I would even ask, what lie are we believing? What lie are we believing? In my office, I spend a lot of time working with behavior and trying to People want to come in and they want to change behavior. And I actually go backwards with that. I say, hey, you're saying you want to resolve this conflict or change behavior, but hey, let's go back. What are you thinking? What lie are you believing? Because our thinking drives our feelings, drives our behavior. Very simple. I get passionate about that. I, could, I won't preach on that, but that's it. What lie are we believing? which impacts our feelings, which impacts our behavior. Verses 11 and 12, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Usually when we hear that the hand of the Lord is upon you, and that's a good thing, but not in this case. There are many who wander from the ways of God themselves, but try to set others against the ways of the Lord. Do we know people like that? Even are we doing that at some point? And their hearts are so hardened that they, they don't cease doing evil. However, here's the cool thing. The proconsul was astonished at the force of the doctrine in his own heart, in conscience, at the power of God by which it was confirmed. And he saw this miracle taking place. And Sergius Paulus' interest in the word of God blossomed into genuine faith in Christ. The doctrine of Christ astonishes, and the more we know of it, the more we shall wonder at it. The gospel has no boundaries at all. It transcends cultures, it transcends rank, it transcends social status, and it transcends race. The gospel is powerful and changes lives. Do you believe that? Those who put their hand to the plow and look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. And I have to ask, how many of us would have looked at this Proconsul, how many of us would have looked at Sergius Paulus and said, I believe he's going to come to faith? And I'm with you. I, I, the truth is, I doubted it. I doubt it. And I have to wonder, even so, practical application-wise, where Paul would have been without Barnabas. Where he would have been. Would he have been as effective? We can only wonder. I think, too, that we all want to help in some form or fashion but a lot of times we don't know what to do, so we don't do anything. So welcome to today. We're going to have some practical things 
where we can go and we can be effective. And one of the most effective ways I think we can help people is to encourage them. We all can encourage. What does encouragement look like? What do you, what do you think about? Who do you think about? We should have rehearsed this. I think about Sarah David when I think about encouragement. She's even encouraged me today, just smiling. Hey, you can do it. You can do it. I need that. You need that. What do we think about? From our earliest years, we plead for approval and we cry out for encouragement. We say, Daddy, Daddy, look what I drew. Look what I drew. When we learn to swim, we call out, Mommy, Mommy, look at me. I took my floaties off. I can now go under. Our son did that yes, the other day in Bowdrown. <laughs> but he came back up. Lindsay said you could just see his little eyes. Barely. Even him, Reed, he says, Daddy, I want to be bigger and bigger like you. And I say, can we add stronger in there? He's like, I want to be stronger and stronger like you. I said, Lindsay, look, see, he thinks I'm strong. My muscles aren't going down. We all crave encouragement. We need those daily encouraging words. And that's why the Bible says encourage one another daily. Hebrews 3, 13, encourage one another daily. Encouragement, what is it? I'm glad you asked. Y'all are great. Encouragement is the act of inspiring one another or a person with comfort and counsel and confidence. The word encouragement literally means to cause another to be confident. What a cool thing to say, hey, I'm going to cause this person to be confident, not just in themselves, but in Christ. The E in means to cause to be. Courage means confidence. Get this. The encourager causes another person to have confidence to change. Transformation. That's what we're here doing. That's what we're trying to do. I would even say is encouragement the catalyst that drives us to be transformed in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can give you just a little bit. In the Greek, the word encouragement means periklesis, which means a calling to one's aid to give comfort or counsel. Para means beside. Kaleo means to call. So I have to ask, how do we enlarge our hearts to become encouragers? Suppose someone said to you, when I think of you, I think of Jesus. How would you feel? And in your deepest part of your heart, you would say, I want to be like Jesus. If so, what was he like? Do you see Jesus as having a judgmental spirit or critical spirit? That would be the opposite of encouragement. So if you have that, Let's work on the encouragement piece. But no, when we look at Jesus, he didn't focus on faults. He was an encourager. He was not a critic. He encouraged people in their walk. Instead, he knew their needs and he offered to meet them. Here's the deal. When we experience authentic salvation, the Bible says you have Christ in you, Colossians 1.27. And if we truly want to be like Christ, we have to enlarge our hearts to be an encourager. On the slide, you'll see Luke 6, 45. 
The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. An encourager has an understanding heart. A heart that learns and draws out the hearts of others. Like what Brenda Bird said earlier, it's like you have this bucket, this pail, or this tank for you guys, this, this, this tank on your, on your car, and you're pouring stuff into it. Encouragers, like the heart, you're pouring good courage, confidence to change into the heart. The kids have these little pails. This men, we might be, hey, our tank's empty. Whatever that is, we're riding on empty. We need encouragement. We need to be poured into. We also need to pour in and encourage one another, not continuing to make the tank emptier and emptier. Let me give you a few practical things you might want to do. Don't listen only to what people are saying on the surface. Listen to the needs and the feelings beneath under, underlying what they're saying. We all have three God-given needs, I think. One is security, one is significance, and one is a need for love. And so listen to that when people are feeling unloved and insignificant and insecure. It's a great time. I'm not saying you have to counsel them and, you know, set up a whole hour session, but there's great things where we can pour into them and listen to those underlying needs. Learn the language of love that the other person understands. We're really good. I'm really good at giving Lindsay like the love that I want. I'm really trying to encourage her, try to pour into her. Maybe she needs quality time. Her tank is empty and deficient in quality time, typically because we have four kids. So we really have to be intentional with that. So I'm like, I'm doing an awesome job. And she's like, no, you're not. You need to encourage me. You need quality time. You need this whole thing. Maybe it's gifts. Now I'm getting into marriage stuff. Marriage stuff's coming up. Re-engage. I have helped serve on that. It's great to look at this in the context of marriage. But whatever that is, we can pour into somebody. Even asking them, hey, what, is, what, what pours into you? Quality time? Gifts, do, do I need words of affirmation? What does that look like? Acts of service, I need to do some more stuff around the house. That's one of Lindsay's. Ask simply, what can I do to improve the relationship? Simple question. Takes two seconds. What can I do to improve our relationship? Men, we're typically feeling low on respect. It's biblical. This can go either way. Men and women need both love and respect, but men, we need respect. That'd be an awesome question for wives. Hey, how can I respect you more today? The same, hold on, ladies. The same is true. Should have started with y'all. Hey, wife, how can I love you more today? Well, you should know. We've been married 20 years. No, they're coming to you asking. They want to date you and learn more. How do I pour in? To your tank. Another thing, listen carefully and repeat or rephrase back what you hear. It's a very simple, clarifying question. I understand you think I continually interrupt you. You want me to let you finish expressing your thoughts. Is this correct? At that point, the person can say, yes, it is, or no, it's not. Then you know what that does? It, it minimizes the miscommunication, which 
then can potentially go to the conflict. And so you're resolving conflict before it ever gets started. Clarifying, say, is that what you really meant instead of getting defensive? Lastly, pray that God will give you a discerning spirit as you seek to draw out those around you. Proverbs 25, 20, verse 5 says, The purpose of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. So here's the thing. Encouragement communicates a lot of things, but it communicates, most of all, care. That I care about you and that I love you. So let me give you a couple more things as we close. On this day, think about one of these that you can do. Mend a quarrel. Search out a forgotten friend. Dismiss the suspicion and replace it with trust. Write a letter to someone who misses you. Text them, call them, email, keep a promise, encourage a youth who has lost his faith, forget an old grudge, forgiveness is huge. Examine your demands on others, maybe we have too high of expectations. Fight for a principle, express gratitude. I love in my in-law's house, it says gratitude changes everything in the bathroom. I go in there every time. I'm like, I love that. I want to take it off the wall. I never told y'all that. <laughs> Gratitude changes everything. Overcome an old fear. Take time to appreciate the beauty of nature. Give God the praise. And in light of today's events, tell someone you love them. Tell them again and again and again and again. Most of all, tell them that Jesus loves them. As John comes up, as we close, I told you I'd tie this thing back in. Remember Dory? That was Nemo's dad, Marlon. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. We all need to be encouraged, and we need others to encourage us as well. There's no doubt we have that need. It looks different for different people, what we'll say or do, but go and encourage somebody the way that God's called you to do that. Let's go and let's speak life-giving words to one another. Let me pray.